Well, welcome to the Bible Church. Um, hey, kids, you can head for Sunday school if uh, you'd like to do that. Great to see them heading out. Great, great song, that medley that Brandon put together, the worship team put together, yeah? What a great song. Man, oh, man, that took a lot of work. And the last song was the perfect song, I'll Fly Away, for, for where we're going to be today in God's Word. If you would grab your Bible and turn with me then to the book of 2 Kings in the Old Testament, 2 Kings chapter 2, that's where we're going to be hanging out this morning. And uh, if you uh, need a Bible, just raise your hand. Be sure to put a copy of God's Word in your hand. There's a little note page in your bulletin. It'd be great if you could grab that as well. So church family and and, uh, perhaps visiting friends today, our journey alongside of God's amazing Old Testament prophet Elijah is fast drawing to a close. We have this morning and then next Sunday, if the Lord wills it, to share his story. And then we're going to be off into in a, kind of an Easter-focused direction and after that to new things that the Lord has for us. And boy, it has been quite a wild ride with Elijah over the last eight weeks. We have been with him through days of terrible drought, miraculous provision of food by the way of ravens and widows. He has challenged false gods to uh, dramatic contests. We've seen fire come down from heaven on Mount Carmel. There's been torrential rain, death threats, and desert super marathons, and, and deep despair and depression for him, tornadoes and earthquakes and fire and gentle whispers, and him declaring judgment upon evil kings and queens. We can certainly say that Elijah's life has been anything but boring up to this point, and it doesn't change. It's not going to be boring today either. The wild ride is going to continue quite literally with the wildest ride of all, the ride that will take Elijah from this earth straight into the presence of God without dying. His whirlwind ride accompanied by chariots of flame and fire well, that's what's on deck for us today as your Bible is open to 2 Kings chapter 2. Let me read for us. I'll invite you to follow along. With Elijah's help today, uh, we get a chance to, to think about our journey to heaven. We get to be challenged by how we're living in preparation for that journey that is coming. And we get to be encouraged as we look forward to what our future is really going to be all about. Chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. Now, when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. And the sons of the prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he said, Yes, I know. Keep quiet. Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. And so they came to Jericho. The sons of the prophets who were at Jericho drew near to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he answered, Yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Then Elijah said to him, 
Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But he said, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Fifty men of the sons of the prophets also went down and stood at some distance from them, as they both were standing by the Jordan. Then Elijah took his cloak, and he rolled it up, and he struck the water, and the water was parted to the one side and to the other, till the two of them could go over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, Please, let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. And he said, You've asked a hard thing. Yet if you see me as I am being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. And as they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it, and he cried, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes, and he tore them in two pieces. And he took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water, saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he had struck the water, the water was parted to the one side and to the other, and Elisha went over. Now, when the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho saw him opposite them, they said, The spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. We're going to stop our reading right there, church family. Let me, let me just ask the Lord to bless our time in his precious word. Let's pray together. Well, Holy Spirit, you have preserved this moment for us. Though it is 2,800 years old, you have preserved it for us because there are things here for us today. We ask you to be our teacher. Help us, Lord, to, to be focused on you and upon your word. Let us not miss a single thing that you have for us today. And, and, and Holy Spirit, I ask you just to help me to stay out of the way of what you would like to accomplish and how you would like to encourage and, and perhaps instruct your people today. They don't want to hear from me. They want to hear from you. Make it so. For your glory, we ask it. For our good as well. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, church family, back when we launched this series on Elijah, we laid claim to a particular verse out of Romans chapter 15. It was verse 4, and it reads like this. For everything that was written in the past was written to do what? It was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. I believe that this verse is going to be fulfilled in a wonderful way for us today. We will be challenged by what we're going to share together out of 2 Kings, and we're going to be encouraged as we see Elijah off to heaven today. Now, all of you who are sharp Bible students, and that would be a room full of you, you go to which church? Idlewild Bible Church. You may be wondering why we skipped over... Uh, Verse, uh, chapter 1 of 2 Kings, which holds a pretty dramatic scene that involves our man, Elijah. Why did we jump over that? Well, the reason we did that is because we're going to pick this chapter up next time. 
While we send, I mentioned this a moment ago, but while we send Elijah heavenward today, we're not actually saying goodbye to him, nor are we bringing the series to a close today. We can't really do that because he's going to show up, Elijah is, in the New Testament, both in person and by name, many times, more than any other Old Testament prophet, Elijah shows up in the New Testament. And so we really can't say goodbye to him until we hang out with him uh, in the New Testament, and we plan to do that next week. But we're going to save the events of chapter 1 uh, for next time because they're going to connect in an interesting way to the person of Jesus. But we'll save all that for next time. If you want to read ahead uh, this week and catch up with chapter 1, certainly feel free to do that. So Second Kings chapter 2 and the last days of Elijah's earthly life. Now, his story of being carried up into heaven by a whirlwind of fiery chariots is one that is known by almost everybody who has any time in church under their belt. It's just a really well-known story. The, the little guys in our Sunday school classes right now, they know this story. And I remember very well from my days as a little boy in church, the flannel graphs and my teacher putting up his fiery chariot on the flannel graph board and learning the story of Elijah. How many of you can resurrect that thought from your past when you were little? Yeah, I can see a few hands going up. You're right there with me. If this is a brand new moment for you, you've never really heard about the story of Elijah and his, his uh, being taken up into heaven in this manner, well, after today, you'll be able to say, I know the story of Elijah. Unfortunately, because it is such a crowd favorite, we tend to want to shoot straight to verse 11 of chapter 2 and this spectacular departure that takes place. But there are some other intensely practical lessons and reminders and challenges that flow out of Elijah's story in, in the run-up to that moment that, can, that we just don't want to overlook. We don't want to miss those because they're going to be a help to us as well. For example, what does Elijah do with the closing years of his life? That would be a reasonable question to ask. After that terrible drought and the, the brook Cherith and the, and the widow at Zarephath and, and after Mount Carmel and after his desert depression season, after Ahab and Jezebel, what does he do with these closing years of his life? Does he sit back in his easy chair, put on his slippers and his bathrobe and, and tell himself that he has earned his retirement after all the tempestuous years of challenging the sinfulness of his nation and, and her leaders and calling them back to God? Uh, he's earned this right to just kind of take it easy and, and kind of coast into home. Is that Elijah? Do you think that would be Elijah? I don't think so. It certainly isn't the Elijah that we have, have come to know. Although it is not explicitly stated, it is strongly implied here that Elijah, in these closing years of his life, was devoted to investing himself in the lives of others for the Lord's sake right up to the moment that he leaves the earth, especially investing in the life of Elisha. To put it another way, he is determined to redeem all the days that the Lord has given to him. And we're made aware in this passage of something called the sons of the prophets, or, or maybe your version says the school of the prophets. We read about that in verse 3, verse 5, verse 7, 
Again in verse 15, this is mentioned. And this is believed to be something like a college where young men would come to live with and learn from older and wiser, more mature spiritual leaders. We know that Samuel the prophet actually started the school of the prophets long before Elijah's time. Uh, but, but during Israel's sad history, that, that the school of the prophets has declined. In fact, it may have all but disappeared. The very fact that back in 1 Kings 19, when we were looking at this part of Elijah's story then, he thought that he was the only God-fearing man left in Israel. Remember that? He says, I'm the only one. There's nobody left who loves you, Lord, except me. That would seem to indicate that these schools were extremely weak or leaderless, or maybe they didn't even exist. But now here in chapter 2, we notice that when Elijah and Elisha journeyed toward uh, his approaching departure, they stop at Bethel and they stop at Jericho. And in both of those places, they are greeted by the sons of the prophets or the school of the prophets. They are, in other words, are greeted by godly men who not only know Elijah, but they hold him in high regard as a leader, as, as a teacher. How would that be the case if it were not for the fact that Elijah had given himself to such a work as this, reestablishing these schools? If he did not, in fact, reestablish them, then he certainly helped to put them back on a stable footing, keeping alive the spiritual flame in his nation that God had brought, kind of fanned in the flame through his efforts. And Elisha is the best proof that Elijah was all about redeeming the time that God had given him. Elisha actually calls Elijah his father repeatedly in verse 12. And that's a reflection of their special relationship. It was a a close relationship. Elijah didn't withdraw in his old age and kind of just kick back in his easy chair and say, I'm going to coast into heaven. Man, he is investing in other people's lives right up to the very end. He actually asks his young apprentice in verse 9, What shall I do for you before I'm taken from you? And Elisha says, please, let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. What shall I do for you? That reflects Elijah's heart. I want to give you what I can before I can't give it anymore. I want to redeem the time right up to the end. Now, if we catch the point of it, church family, Elijah is not content to just add to the list of amazing contributions that he has made to the work of the Lord over his life. He actually wants to multiply himself, influencing other devoted God followers who will then multiply themselves. Not just thinking about ministry, he's thinking about multiplication. It's not a small thing to think that one of these, these prophets these, that, that Elijah has mentored or discipled during the close of his year, years of his life, these persons will go on perhaps to tutor or mentor or challenge an Isaiah or a Hosea, maybe an Obadiah or an Ezekiel. Their influence is going to be that far-reaching. And Elijah says, I want to be involved in that. I want to be investing in others and multiplying myself. Well, think about that. He's wanting to redeem the time right up to the end. The Holy Spirit challenges you and me to do exactly the same thing. 
in, in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 and 16, look at what we read. This is from the Holy Spirit through the pen of the Apostle Paul. Look carefully then how you walk, how you are living your life, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the what? The time. The time that God has given to you because the days are evil. Redeem the time, the Holy Spirit says. Brothers and sisters, especially those among us who are older, we might ask this question, who is reaping the riches? Who is reaping the treasures of your long years of personal relationship with Jesus? Who is the beneficiary of your life in the Lord? Especially if we're older and we have time under our belt with our Savior. Who is reaping the benefits of that? in your circle? Who's profiting from your practical spiritual insight, your experience, and all that has come hard won to you? Who is benefiting from that? Who with with years of Christian service stretched out in front of them is pocketing the spiritual wisdom that is your right to give as an older believer? Elijah invested in the younger, in his circle, with the hope of multiplying his, his work. Are you and I doing that? Not just ministering, but are we multiplying, making the best use of our time, redeeming all the days that the Lord desires to give us? That's a great way to leave the earth, isn't it? That's a great way to go, having invested ourselves in the lives of others, redeeming the time. And then tucked as well into these verses leading up to Elijah's wild ride is a second challenge. Redeem all the days that God gives you. Secondly, be ready all of the time. Be ready all the time. And and here's what we mean by that. It is clear from chapter 2 that Elijah knew well in advance that there were not going to be too many more sunsets for him. He was going to be going home. He found out that he was... uh, going to be heading for heaven in some supernatural way. God made that known to him. And he's very much looking forward to to standing in the presence of the God that he has loved and served his whole life. We know that God revealed this as well to Elisha beforehand. And as well, God had revealed this to the sons of the prophets in in both Bethel and Jericho. In verse 3, again in verse 5, Elisha tells the young prophets that they don't need to tell him what he already knows. Elijah's leaving. You don't need to tell me. You can keep quiet about that. I already know. So, of course, Elijah would have known before any of them that this was God's plan. He's going to take him. That being true, did you notice what Elijah is doing with the final days, hours, moments before he enters heaven? Did you notice what he's doing? What's he doing? Well, uh... Pastor Tim, nothing really different than what he's been doing all along. Exactly. Exactly. That was going to be the answer I was hoping you were going to give. Nothing different than what he's been doing all along. Now, perhaps we might have expected in light of his soon departure and learning about that, that he would charge off with a new infusion of vigor and devotion and And he would desire to make these final days and hours really count for God in a big, big way. Unbridled preaching, zealous evangelism, challenging the sinful nation back to repentance that he was a part of. 
And why would we think that maybe he would charge off with some new energy in a, in a way like that? Why would we think that? Well, could it be because that's how we would think? That's how we would do? If we knew that our home going was just a couple days away, maybe we would just do it differently. We would do it with more energy or we'd stop doing something that we had been doing. Yet what we see from Elijah is that he spends his last days the same way that he has been spending them, visiting the schools of the prophets, instructing and encouraging, mentoring his prized pupil and replacement, Elisha, right up to the moment that the chariot sweeps him to heaven, he's doing what he has been doing. Now, what's the point? Well, the point is that as God's people, as lovers of the Lord Jesus, should we not also be living our lives in such a way that we would not need to make any changes or think about doing something extra if we knew that our end was coming? I mean, shouldn't that be the way we're living, brothers and sisters? As if the end could be today? Living like that so that we don't need to do anything different. In fact, by the way, uh, since we never know when our home going is going to be, no matter how old or young we are, we never know that. The very best approach to take in living this life is to live like we would go home today. Right? That's how we would want to live. Ready all of the time. Be doing right now what we'd want to be doing if we knew that Jesus was going to show up in the next hour. In fact, it was Jesus who said in Matthew chapter 24, verse 42, Therefore, stay what? Stay awake. Be alert. Be ready. For you do not know what the day, on what day your Lord is coming. Verse 44, Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Now, Jesus there is talking about his, his future return. He says, you don't know when I'm coming. But so, so he's really saying, live your life like your home going could be today because you don't know when I'm coming or when I'm going to come for you. When John Wesley, the, and do you know that name, John Wesley? Yeah, many of you would know that name. Great evangelist, lived in the 1700s. He was asked on one occasion what he would do if he knew that he only had three days to live. And this was his answer, and my guess is he was perhaps thinking about Elijah. He said, I should just do the work which I have already planned to do, ministering in one place, meeting preachers in another, lodging in yet another, till the moment came that I was called to yield my spirit back to him who gave it to me. In other words, I'm just going to live like I've been living. And that's the way it ought to be for you and me. No last-minute spiritual projects that... We feel like we've got to accomplish no habit or practice that we need to, 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 to really work hard on to break because we know it's not what we should be doing. No need to live or act or be different. Just living a Holy Spirit-empowered life by word and by action, doing the work we've been called by God to do, whether that's at home or in our workplace or at school. Man, what a great way to go. Ready all the time redeeming the time. When Elijah asked Elisha in verse 9 if there was anything that he might do for him before his departure, 
Elisha, if you remember, he asks for a double portion of the spirit that filled Elijah's life. I want a double portion of that. It was a request in keeping with their very special relationship. In this time, just so you understand, the, the firstborn in a family received an extra portion of the inheritance. It was called the double portion of his father's inheritance, twice what any of the other heirs would get. Now, Elisha is not asking to be superior to Elijah. He viewed Elijah as his spiritual father, and he simply says, I would like a double portion of the inheritance of the power that is within you. Uh, I want twice as much as what any other prophet might get because I'm your firstborn son. That's how he saw himself. And so that's the request that he's making. Interestingly, Elisha is going to have a ministry that lasts twice as long as Elijah's, and he's going to perform twice the number of miracles. And it's a reflection of God's kindness towards Elisha. But Elijah says to him in verse 10, you have asked a hard thing. No kidding. (laughs) Yet if you see me as I'm being taken from you, it shall be so for you. If you don't see me, then that's not going to happen. In other words, Elisha, be what? Ready. Be ready. You never know when I'm going home. So you be ready. You watch. You keep, you keep alert. And that's just a reminder again to you and me. Be ready all the time. It is a great way to go, isn't it? A great way to go. And speaking of going, that does bring us to verse 11, finally. And this incredible moment that eclipses everything else. And I don't know about you, church family, but I am constantly amazed by how little the Bible can say about some things that are really, really big. Right? Can it, it, sometimes it just blows me away. So little said about something so big. There's only been one other time in the history of the world, and it goes clear back to Genesis chapter 5, verse 24, when God took a person to heaven without them having to die. And that was Enoch in Genesis chapter 5. All the writer of Kings can say about this incredible moment is, as they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. Hmm. I want more. (laughs) Don't you want more? I mean, that's just the facts. There's none of the flourish. I would like some of the flourish that goes with this story. More of the details. More of the surrounding information. But I know the Holy Spirit is wiser than me, and the brevity of, the count has, of this account has to be purposeful. In fact, I know what would happen if I had all the flourish. I'd get lost in the flourish. I'd get lost in all the mechanics of Elijah's exit, and I would really miss the important difference-making truths that flow out of this passage. For example, Elijah's amazing supernatural exit gave indisputable proof, not only to the people of his day, but to you and me, that there is indeed a spiritual world into which the people of God enter. That's big picture, isn't it? That's big picture. Way beyond all of the details, there is a spiritual world into which the people of God enter. Living as we do with the completed scriptures that we can hold in our laps, we have a tremendous advantage over the people of Elijah's day, For them, 
life after this life was, was a vague and not very well understood concept. They didn't really know much. But this whirlwind chariot ride from earth to heaven, that gave proof that there really is something more than, than just this, this brief journey of 60 or 70 or, if God is gracious, 80 years. There's much more. The man or woman of God goes to God. And that's a big deal, isn't it? That's a big deal. We don't want to miss that. The man or woman of God goes to God. And in Elijah's moment here, we're powerfully reminded that as a child of God, as a a son or daughter of the King of Heaven, through our faith in Jesus, we really do need to see death for what it is. Elijah in this moment does not die. What happens? Well, he simply experiences an exchange of worlds. The seen for the unseen, the decaying for the eternal, the fading for the infinite. He passes from one world, one realm, into another world, into another realm. For God's people in any age, for you and me who are in Jesus, death is really no different from that. It is what? It is merely, for those who are in Jesus, it is merely an exchange of worlds. Right? Is that not true? Yeah? Death is is not a state of being for the believer in Jesus. It's a moment in time action. That's all it is that sees us have our address changed from earth to heaven. That's what death is. It's a change of address. It's an exchange of worlds. Verse 11 tells us that death for the people of God is not not some kind of interval of unconsciousness. It's it's not some kind of suspended animation. It's It's not soul sleep, as we are sometimes told that it is. And it sure isn't that time uh, in a holding place called purgatory where we work off our sin debt and then we get to go to heaven. That's not it. Elijah goes straight from here to there in a moment, in a twinkle of an eye. Death for the believer in Jesus, as one person has put it, is just the disguise worn by the angels sent from God to bring the believer home. I love that thought. That's a great way to to think about our death, brother or sister in Jesus. The disguise worn by the angels sent from God to bring the believer home. Have you ever thought about death that way? I believe that's true. I believe it is an absolutely true statement. Interesting. This chariot of fire drawn by horses of fire, it just sounds so strange to us. But did you know this isn't the last time that we see this? It's not the last time that Elisha witnesses this this incredible scene. If if you'll take your Bible, flip over just a couple of pages to the right to chapter 6 and find verse 17. We read there in this chapter about a huge army that comes and surrounds Elisha's town. The Arameans have come and they intend to capture Elisha. They want him. Elisha's servant, whose name is Gehazi, is panicked out of his mind 
He thinks he's about to die because the, the whole village is surrounded by this army. But Elisha just remains calm and cool like there's no big deal, though we're surrounded by this army. Verse 17, here's the reason he's so cool. He prays, O oh Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. And so the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of what? Horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. What are those chariots of fire? I would submit to us that those are the armies of heaven. Those are the angels of the Lord encamped around God's man. The very same description of them as we see here ushering Elijah heavenward. What are the chariots? Plural. If we go back to verse 11, there are plural chariots and horses. What are those? Nothing less, I would submit to you, than the angelic escort sent from God to bring Elijah home. Angels carrying him home. Now, is that just wishful thinking? Is that just some kind of speculation? Mm, I don't think so. Let's confirm that fact so that, that you and I have the confidence that we need to have. Would you take your Bible and run into the New Testament? Keep your finger here in Second in Second Kings 2. But run to Luke's Gospel and find chapter 16. Luke's Gospel, chapter 16. I'm inviting you to the place where Jesus tells one of the best-known parables in the New Testament. Many suspect that this is actually not a parable at all that Jesus is telling because it's the only kind of these stories where Jesus actually gives names to characters. It's the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Do you know the parable? I've included it there at the bottom of your note page if you don't have your Bible with you. But here's what it says. It says Jesus told this parable. He told this story. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. Now he is the picture of the person who has, has a heart that is, is cold to God. Doesn't care about God. Doesn't care about the things of God. He's all about himself. That's the picture of the rich man. Verse 20. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. Verse 22. The poor man died, Jesus says, and was what? Carried by the angels to Abraham's side. Abraham's side is, a, is an expression for heaven carried by the angels part of jesus story to heaven the rich man also died and was what buried how interesting that in this story dealing with death jesus would say that godly lazarus is carried by escorted by angels to heaven and what a sad and sober reality is found in the last part of that expression the poor man died and what happened to him? Or the rich man died, and what happened to him? He was just buried. Wah, wah, wah. Right? I mean, one is escorted to heaven by angels, and the other guy's just buried. No angels, no escort. 
only a transition to a place of judgment. So death for the believer, what is it? It's just an exchange of worlds, isn't it? It's a passage, a transfer, an escort from from life to life everlasting. In fact, if you flip your note page over, how does Paul say it? In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 8. We are of good courage, he says, talking about those who are in Jesus Christ. We are of good courage and we would rather be away from the body and where? At home with the Lord. Are you home today? Are you at home here? You're not home, right? You're not home. This isn't your home. This world's not your home if you're in Jesus. Your home is in heaven. And Paul says, away from this body, we are where? We're home. We're home. And that's how we need to see death. It's, it's, it's going home. See death for what it really is. It's so, so important for you and I, brothers and sisters, living in the times we live in. We need to know what this is all about. It'll be 10 years ago, this coming Wednesday, March the 9th, that my own father went home to be with the Lord. He was a godly man, an incredible husband, an amazing dad, and a pastor. He contracted a blood cancer, and from the time of diagnosis till his death, it was a mere six months. With my mom and my brother and sister standing beside me, we were all next to his bed at the moment when he changed addresses. It was an incredible moment in my life, one of the most amazing moments of my life. We stood by his bed, and my dad died with his eyes wide open as if he was looking at something at the moment that he drew his last breath. I closed my dad's eyes and then together we read these words. 1 Corinthians 15. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality then shall come to pass the saying that is written death is swallowed up in what in victory in victory oh death where is your victory oh death where is your sting the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law but thanks be to god he gives us the victory through our lord jesus christ amen and amen We must see death for what it really is. Elijah, in his whirlwind chariot ride moment, does not die, but but simply experiences an exchange of worlds. The, the, The seen for the unseen, the decaying for the eternal, the fading for the infinite. He passes from one realm, one world, into another realm, another world. He just changes addresses. For us, brothers and sisters, it is no different. No different. Death, no different. An exchange of worlds, escorted by the angelic servants of God into our Savior's presence. What a way to go. What a way to go. And before we leave Elijah here, soaring towards heaven, is it possible that we might have in him as well just a little hint, maybe just a, a small preview of that glorious event 
that the New Testament promises is waiting for Jesus' church in the near future. I believe in the near future. Might we have a preview of the coming rapture of the redeemed? You think? I think so. It is the hope of everyone who names the name of Jesus as Savior that, that they should not taste death. Is that your hope? That's, that's your hope, I would guess. It's, it certainly is my hope that I would not taste death, but that I should be alive when Jesus returns as he says he's going to return. He's made that promise. He's coming back. I hope to be alive in that moment, and you do too. And here's what the Holy Spirit says about that comes out of 1 Thessalonians 4. Some of you were in this passage, I think, on Thursday night in your life group. So it's refresher for you. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and there's the key, right? you got to believe that, that Jesus died on the cross for you and that he rose from the dead victorious over sin in the grave. Since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep or died. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself would descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be what? caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Caught up. You know what that word is? Rapture. That's the word. Caught up. Should you and I be living then and hear the trumpet blast and see Jesus coming on the clouds with his angels sounding the call? then we, like Elijah, are going to be caught up in the air to meet the Lord there, and thus we will always be with him forever and ever and ever and ever after that. Never again to be departed from him. Will we be joined in that moment by chariots of fire and and then be accelerated into the heavens and into the presence of Jesus on that day? I don't know. I don't know. But I do know this, whether fiery chariots join us in that moment or not, I do know this, the perishable will put on the imperishable. The mortal will put on immortality. This body of sin and dust will be exchanged for a body of glory, and what is mortal is going to be swallowed up by life. That we know. Fellow Christian, doesn't it seem right then that as that we, like Elijah, would want to be alert and watching and conscious that the chariot might come at any moment. To be using our days, redeeming our days in God's service, living boldly for Jesus without apology, right up to the last minute, seeing death without even one hint of fear. Because we don't need to be afraid. It's just a disguise, isn't it? Worn by angels sent from God to bring us home. That's all it is. In other words, to be living our lives in such a way 
both in thought and in action, that should we be flashed into the presence of the living God, there would be no shame, there would be no regret, no need to say, I wish. Because we were ready. Are you ready? It would be a wonderful thing whenever God's chariot draws up alongside of you or me. It would be a wonderful thing to be prepared to step in and be swept through the gates of heaven, washed in the blood of the Lamb. It must have been much like this, and no doubt with 2 Kings 2.11 in his thoughts, the day that Christmas Evans, yes, that's his real name, Christmas Evans, born on Christmas Day, 1766. It must have been like this the day that he died. He was arguably the greatest preacher ever to come out of Wales. At the age of 73, after more than 50 years of pastoral ministry, he lay near death with a small group of close friends beside his bed. And it is said that he opened his eyes, he raised his hand up and outstretched in front of him, and he was looking at a point way beyond the ceiling of the room a point out in the distance, and he was heard to say in a loud voice two words, drive on. And then he died. Drive on! Man, what a way to go, huh? Because we have these truths and because we have Jesus. Amen? Drive on. Let's pray together. What a joy. What a joy, Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, to share the truths of Elijah's homegoing together. It's, it's, it's a great challenge for us to be ready, to be living well, to be redeeming the time. It is also a great comfort to us to realize that, that you have this all worked out, this moment when we leave this world. Whether we leave it through the doorway of death, whether we whether we see you, Lord Jesus, and you catch us up to be with you. Uh, however that happens, what an encouragement to us today. We leave almost walking on air. Our hearts are excited. We so want to see you. We so want to be with you. Till then, though, you've asked us to be faithful, and we want to do that. We want to live well for you. So thank you for that. And, and now it is really a, a great privilege for us as a church family to to end our time together this morning around the table of remembrance. Lord Jesus, you have made this, this exchange of worlds for us possible by your death and by your resurrection. And it is our joy to honor you by remembering that moment through the bread and through the cup. So Lord, now I ask you to prepare your, your people's hearts to do so, to, to enter this moment with the seriousness it deserves to examine ourselves, to be ready to take the bread and the cup and remember its significance today. For your glory, Jesus, we're going to do this. And all God's people said, amen and amen.